2: March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action and with multiple entries available, it's the season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, BetOnline is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, BetOnline, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign up bonus bet online your online sportsbook experts
1: blue wire
0: hey this is george kittle and you're listening to candlestick chronicles
2: new england sending qb jimmy garoppolo
0: to 49ers we believe we found the right guy garoppolo
1: quick pass caught by kittle he dives and he's in
2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. Joining me, it's not Kyle Madsen this week. It's actually a little awkward because we have Matt Barrows with us, who had my job previously for a long time before I did. Uh, Matt currently writes for The Athletic. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing great. Um, I'd say big upgrade from Kyle Madsen. Big upgrade. (laughs)
2: Yeah, Kyle's uh Kyle's had a busy week so I thought we'd give him some time off. Oh,
1: poor Kyle.
2: <laughs> and uh luckily Barrows was was happy to join us.
1: Uh, hey, Beads, I'm not doing anything right now. <laughs> Very slow period. Yeah, in fact, it's uh I I've sequestered myself in my apartment cuz I'm uh, deathly afraid of coronavirus. So uh this is a real treat for me to actually talk to a, another human being.
2: Yeah, and we don't have to worry about spilling germs. Um That's right. Yeah. How much purél did you end up getting from Costco?
1: Zero. zero purél. The uh, the the world supply of purél is is at a very critical state right now. You can't find it anywhere.
2: Oh no. Well, I hope I probably you
1: shouldn't have been hoarding it all those years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I hope you survive. Um, I think we all will. Just just continue to wash your hands, like uh, like I know you do judiciously.
1: Oh yeah, I am. I I gotta say, I'm probably the best hand washer that. I know. I've met. And you've seen me in the men's room. I really go at it like I'm like I'm going to be performing brain surgery. Like
2: I have that. not seen you in the men's room, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you were in Indianapolis uh, and you were at the combine. I was not fortunate enough to go this year. Um, so you did get to ask some of the pressing questions to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, uh, one of which not that you asked specifically, but one of which. Uh, they fielded was about the quarterback position. And of course, this came up this week uh, because Tom Curran of uh, NBC Sports in New England has mentioned that he thinks the 49ers are a legit possibility for one Tom Brady, who is scheduled to hit unrestricted free agency here in a couple weeks. Uh, Kyle and I did a podcast episode basically shooting down the idea. Uh, I, I think it's both unrealistic and unwise. Um, I know you hit on it in your mailbag that that you wrote this week. I, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, what you think of of the possibility of Tom Brady coming to the 49ers and why it may or may not happen?
1: Well, well first of all, Curran was asked uh, about where he thought Brady would end up, and he said it was 50% Tennessee, 50% New England. And I'm not a math major, but that didn't that didn't seem to. Uh, allow for a lot of room for another team. But he, he did mention that he thought uh, the, the the 49ers had, uh, I guess, a legitimate chance uh, of being his uh, his destination. So it, it was kind of weird. I mean, it was just a little soundbite that turned into something gigantic. But Curran knows what's going on in New England. He knows what's going on with Brady. So um, he's somebody to listen to. But having said that, um, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, uh, the 49ers from the get-go, since the Super Bowl, have been adamant that uh, Garoppolo is their guy moving forward. And um, uh, these guys just don't, I don't know, they don't dissemble. They don't lie like other uh, groups that I've covered uh, over the years. And when they say something, I got to believe that they're telling the truth because they've been pretty uh, forthcoming uh, over the last three years. So, uh, there's that. There's what you mentioned. I mean, just just moving forward, uh, do you want to have a, a quarterback who's in his 20s with, you know, his whole career in front of him? Or do you want one in his early 40s with his whole career behind him? I mean, if you got Tom Brady, you'd probably be getting him for, for one season. Um, and, uh, you know, Shanahan was... Um, very uh, blunt in saying that he didn't think that Garoppolo was, you know, uh, who he's going to be yet. He's got plenty of room for growth, and I think that is what makes him exciting. I mean, uh, I-, I think it was Shanahan that said that Garoppolo was um, a few minutes away from being the MVP of the Super Bowl, i.e., winning the Super Bowl for the 49ers. Obviously, those last seven minutes were not good at all. Um, and you want somebody to kind of rise up in that situation. But the point being is that, uh, we're, we're talking about, a, a half a quarter where the guy struggled, where for the most of the rest of the season, it was pretty darn good.
2: Yeah, totally agree. And and John Lynch was pretty unequivocal in, in what he said. Uh, I know he said to you guys, he said, quote, we're extremely proud of Jimmy and committed to Jimmy moving forward. He's our guy. Um, so that pretty much spells it out to me, because like you said, I, I do think you can take Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch at their word because they aren't the type of guys who will put facades on in front of the media just to placate, um, you know, placate situations or, or whatever. And and the, the opposite of that would be, uh, I guess, Mike Mayock of the Raiders or, um, you know, any other executive or major decision maker in the league who will say well we're trying to upgrade it at every position we like our guy but we want to we're open to upgrade everywhere on the roster the 49ers are not saying that so unequivocally they have said on the record um and i imagine they would say it off the record as well that yeah we're moving forward with garoppolo um and statistically i mean it wasn't particularly close garoppolo was near the top of the league, 8.4 yards per attempt. I know that's not the be all statistic, but Brady was at 6.6, which is pretty miserable. Um, Brady had an 88 passer rating, which is not very good, particularly, you know, given the way passer rating is inflated these days. And Garoppolo was at 102, which is, uh, you know, closer to the top 10 in the league. And he probably would have been even higher. I know he would have been even higher if he didn't throw 13 interceptions, which was near the top. So I just think you're downgrading uh, from a production standpoint. I know Brady's resume is more expansive, but I think Brady turning 43 this year is not going to be the same player as Garoppolo would be entering his prime, getting a second season in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And, And Barrows, you know it, like the guys talk about it in the locker room the offensive system that Kyle Shanahan runs is extremely complex and it's taken a number of guys, multiple seasons to master it. If you get Tom Brady, then, you know, are you changing your system for Brady? Are you asking everybody else on offense to learn something new? Are you changing the vernacular? Is Brady going to be able to adjust fast enough to continue this run of contention going into next season? And maybe in 2021, I mean, do you have any sort of feel on how Kyle Shanahan would view bringing in somebody like Tom Brady and what kind of adjustments he would have to make to his offense?
1: Well, I think we saw that happen in the you know, last five games of the 2017 season where Garoppolo was just coming from New England, and uh, you know, Shanahan gave him a very, very abbreviated version of his offense and one that kind of suited his skills, and he was spectacular in doing it. So I, I, I think that that would, that would work. I mean, you, you would be committing everything to winning a Super Bowl title in, in 2020, um, and, and a lot of people w- would want to do that, uh, but, uh, uh, so, I mean, if that were the case, if that decision were made, Shanahan, I think, and Brady would would certainly come to some sort of, uh, uh, I don't want to say, uh, understanding, but uh, there, there would be some, it wouldn't be the full offense, I, I don't think, but. Um, I, I, I don't think that Tom Brady would have any uh, problem uh, grasping the, the Shanahan offense, and I don't think that Shanahan would have any problem kind of gearing that offense to his strengths. Um, you know, to me, uh, the, the bigger issue is, is the locker room. I mean, it's a fantastic locker room right now. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, Shanahan and Lynch were most proud of a, after the season is what they built from a, from a culture perspective and you know uh sort of ripping the the rug out from underneath Garoppolo and bringing in Brady would upset that i mean how could it not um and uh you know that 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 would be i think the, the, the their their biggest worry of what would be lost if you made a, a big sort of cat, cataclysmic move like that one
2: yeah and if you look at it from the standpoint of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch you would say right now their job security is is probably never going to be as good as it is like right now, even if they, you know, even coming off the fact that they lost the Super Bowl, um, you know, you hear mutterings of do these guys deserve extensions at this point, um, you know, three years into their six year contracts. And, and that certainly seems feasible. But if you make a decision like going for Brady and it doesn't work out, then where is where's your job security if you're Kyle Shanahan at that point? Like if you, you know, it's hard enough to get back to the Super Bowl and all the numbers bear that out. And that's going to be talked about ad nauseum going into next season, just how difficult it is to get back to the playoffs, let alone get back to the Super Bowl after losing it. But changing quarterbacks seems like it's going to be that much more difficult um, to get to that level. And then how are we looking at Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch in terms of job security? Because they also, too, beyond Brady, beyond a year or two, are going to have to find a new quarterback. And if they don't hit on a draft pick or a free agent or a trade a guy they trade for or whatever, then things are really going to be going sour for them when things really are going as well about as well as they possibly could right now.
1: Ooh, but maybe they do something where it's Brady <laughs> for 2020, and then your guy, Kirk Cousins, comes in in 2021.
2: Oh my god, <laughs> that
1: would, that would <laughs> satisfy you first of all, and also uh, Kyle Shanahan would love that scenario. So, so- uh, now I'm sold. I'm on. I'm on with with Tom Curran now. I think uh, <laughs> I think Brady's coming here for sure.
2: So for the listeners, Barrows uh, f- will forever give me grief about the Kirk Cousins thing because in 20 what 2017, I guess. Um, I wrote extensively about Kirk Cousins, probably more than any other website, just relating to the 49ers, because I had heard things and I was um, of the belief that the 49ers were going to make a strong run at him. And uh, that turned out being true, except that they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo because <clears throat> Bill Belichick kind of called him out of it the... didn't
1: happen. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, but no, their interest was real. Yeah, yeah. Shan- Shanahan and Lynch have both talked about on the record since then about their interest being real. So I feel vindicated about that. But anyway, let's transition to the combine because you were there and I was not. Um,
1: oh, you missed a lot, beads. I mean, you should have been there. There was a lot happening in, in Indianapolis this
2: year. Well, th- I'm very Fire glad works. to have you on. Then why don't why don't you give us uh, what, what was your juiciest takeaway that you got from from talking to all the insiders and the executives and agents? while you were there uh, sipping a a beverage or two late at night in in the hotel bar room?
1: The biggest takeaway uh, is that it's a really good draft, Um, and it's uh, a good draft in those areas, those sort of big-ticket areas, like offensive tackle is really deep. Defensive tackle is really deep. Uh, Wide receiver is deep. I think quarterback is probably deep, too, or at least there'll be, I don't know, three or four guys that go in the first round. Um, the meat of it, I've been, I was told over and over again, is probably in rounds two through four, which is ironic because that, <laughs> the 49ers happen to have zero picks uh, in those rounds. So everybody thinks that the 49ers are going to do what the, uh, the Seahawks did last year, which is sort of parlay a late first round pick into uh, hopefully a lot of you know second, third, fourth, maybe even fifth round. Fifth round is the money round for the 49ers uh, picks this year. Um, of course, they'll have to have other teams uh, play ball with them to do that, but uh, that, that's probably the, uh, the M.O. for this team, and uh, a, lot, a lot of us will be doing mock drafts where we make a pick at 31, but uh, it's likely that the 49ers um, aren't picking at pick 31, or their, their first pick might be on the, on the Friday, uh, April 24, in, in the second round.
2: Yeah. So what's interesting about this year and and just sort of the uh, from a macro perspective league wide is is the CBA and the fact that the proposed uh, collective bargaining agreement hasn't been ratified by players yet. So it feels like the entire league is sort of in a holding pattern um, because they don't know how that's going to affect the salary cap, players, contracts, uh, everything like that. And more Mike in a micro view relating to the 49ers is Eric Armstead who's their franchise tag candidate, who's going to hit unrestricted free agency in a couple weeks uh, unless he gets tagged. But it looks like right now, as things currently stand, the 49ers don't even have the cap room to tag Armstead. Um, and they haven't yet. The, the tag window has been open since February 27th, I want to say. Um, so, I mean, what what's your what's your grasp on? how the cba is impacting how the 49ers are operating because it seems to me their decision at 31 or to trade back is sort of all going to hinge on what happens in free agency and that sort of starts with eric armstead because after armstead then you evaluate okay uh what about uh, george kittle's extension and deforest buckner's extension and then bringing back jimmy ward and emmanuel sanders it seems like once the CBA thing gets figured out, then the 49ers can start to make some moves. But until then, they're they're sort of hamstrung in, in what they can do and the flexibility that they have. And And I'm just curious what your takeaway was from, from how the 49ers are operating in these circumstances.
1: Well, there were three things going on. Uh, one is what you just mentioned, the CBA isn't done. So uh, none of these agents are going to rush to craft a... Uh, a, a contract when they don't really know the, the full language in the CBA. Nobody wants to be the first agent that has the the, the big uh, deal that comes out uh, and then everything is, is changed a little bit on them. So there's that, that's that sort of hindering things. There's the fact that free agency doesn't start until March 18 this year. Usually it's, it's this week that it starts. So there's really not an impetus to get stuff done. Stuff usually gets finished on the eve of all this stuff. Uh, people are motivated by deadlines. And then the, the third factor that was going on is that the 49ers played into February and, and really were behind on a lot of their stuff. And, and Kyle Shanahan gave his entire staff, you know, a week, 10 days off after, uh, you know, the week after the Super Bowl. So uh, they really didn't have um, everything finished. Uh, usually, you know, the, the 49ers are completing some deals around the time of the Combine. Um, you, you know They know how they're going to tender their RFAs, their restricted free agents, for example. They didn't know any of that stuff this time, and, and it's just because uh, they were, they're were they late. I mean, uh, everything that other teams have been doing for a month and a half, the 49ers have just started to do. So that's why we're sort of in this, uh, this doldrum period right now, and they really haven't figured it out. But I agree with you that, I mean, I think the DeForest Buckner deal— uh, will actually carve out some salary cap space for them. So that that should give them some wiggle room. And there are a couple of other small things that they can do to create space. Uh, but, uh, you know, they think that they can get Armstead on a, on a multi-year deal. Um, March 12, next week, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Next week is the, is the deadline for placing the franchise tag. So if there's no deal done then, I, I, I think it's it's pretty plain to see that they would – uh, put that tag on Armstead on Thursday of next week. Um, and, and that gives them more wiggle room to try to create, try to craft a a multi-year deal. But, uh, it it seems pretty clear that they're not going to just let him go to free agency.
2: So do you think, or what are, what are the chances, I guess is, is probably a better way to ask this, but what are the chances that they tag and trade him? Because it would seem to me that bringing him back on the tag, even though you do have the the opportunity to sign him to a multi-year deal until July, would really hamstring them uh, in the meantime when it comes to free agency, would, because you know they want to bring back Jimmy Ward. Kyle Shannon has talked glowingly about Ward in the past, and, and we finally saw Ward have a, a really good season this year. And then he said similar things about Emmanuel Sanders. I think just given where Sanders is at in his career turning 33, um, he might be more expendable. And and I know you talked about the strength of this draft class at receiver. But if they tag Armstead and don't trade him for some much needed draft capital, then they really have no cap space to do much of anything. And he might be their only uh, starter who's a free agent that ends up coming back unless they make significant concessions elsewhere. So it would seem to me that there is an impetus to get a multi-year deal done before that. And obviously well ahead of that July deadline, if he is tagged.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to pay him $19 million, which is what the the franchise tag would be. And then the franchise tag would mean that, um, he's only there for one more year. So, you know, ideally you have him on a multi-year deal that averages, um, less, probably significantly less than, than 19 million a year. Um, uh, cap and trade is, is an option, uh, it's becoming more and more popular. Uh, it's usually done for, you know, at least last year it was, it was done with, with pure edge rushers. Uh, Armstead is a little different, uh, cat in that he's more of a strong side defensive end who, uh, reduces down to defensive tackle on, uh, on passing downs, which is where all 10 of his sacks came from. um, so I mean the, the Cleveland Browns to me jump out as, as a possible trade partner. Uh, they've got they now got two former 49ers defensive coaches. I don't I haven't read anything about this, but uh, I would assume that Joe Woods wants to kind of run his defensive line like the 49ers did last year. That I mean they had so much success doing it. Why wouldn't you try to duplicate what the sort of the hot thing in the NFL is? And uh, if you did that, you would have um, your your Nick Bosa figure in, in miles Garrett already there. And you would want to kind of pair him with uh, a really good base down defensive end, which would be Eric Armstead. So that, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, it would, it would depend on what, uh, what other teams are offering, but if you let uh, Eric Armstead go to free agency, the the best you could hope for is a third round pick in 2021. And it would be obviously a compensatory pick, uh, you know, so after the third round, so, Anything before that would be would be a better alternative than letting uh, Armstead go scot-free. The question is, is it a better alternative than having Armstead on your team for a Super Bowl push in, in 2020? And I, I don't really know the answer to that.
2: Yeah, and I also wonder about Armstead's trade value. Like what would it be? Would it be a second round pick like the 49ers gave up for D Ford? Or would teams be a little bit leery of giving away a premium asset like that because Armstead has only done it really for one season in his contract year? Yeah. Like he had 10 and sacks.
1: A, and he's not a pure edge rusher, yeah. Right. I, I think that lowers the value a bit. So the question would be what kind of compensation are you getting? Yeah, I, I uh, was was
2: just messing around and, and looked at the Chargers as a possible fit because you have Joey Bosa there and Melvin Ingram and Jerry Tillery uh, sort of as your nose guy, and then you could have throw Armstead in into that mix. And you know, Gus Bradley runs the same, basically the same scheme as Robert Sala, um, and I would imagine he would be a fit there. And they also have fifty million dollars in cap space, and they have the number thirty six pick, uh, an early pick in round two. I don't know that Armstead would fetch that, but maybe I don't know. This is just hypothetical. But like, if you're the Niners, you you send Armstead and one of your two fifth round picks to the chargers. Could you get 36? Um, and then, you know, you obviously are losing Armstead, but you're still in a pretty decent spot with 31 and 36 as assets to maybe, you know, do some maneuvering or draft Armstead's potential replacement. Um, as, uh, Epinesa, what's his first, his first initials, uh, AJ AJ, Epinesa from Iowa seems like an Armstead guy who could be had in that range. I don't know, just spitballing, but it seems to me that um, the most logical scenarios are tagging and trading Armstead or bringing him back on a multi-year deal. Uh, it just doesn't really seem feasible or even logical for the Niners to to bring him back on the tag, but um, why don't we move on a little bit? I, wa- I want to do some rapid fire stuff with you um, because I know you have watched some of the receivers and I've started diving in too. Um, so I want to ask you about Jalen Rager, the TCU wideout, uh, who kind of had a disappointing combine. He didn't run as fast as as a lot of people thought he would. And uh, I want to say it was 448. And watching him on tape, he looked like one of the fastest players in the country, and he jumped really well. Um, at the combine. He had a 42-inch vertical, which is 97th percentile, and a 138-inch broad jump, which is 98th percentile, but he wasn't good in the three-cone at all. I When I watched, uh, you know, just did some YouTube scouting, he kind of seemed like he had the mentality of Debo Samuel, but sort of in Marquise Goodwin's body. Um, I'm curious what you think of Jalen Rager, and I wonder... About how uh, Kyle Shanahan will view him, because since Shanahan's come on board, we we've kind of had an idea about what he looks for in receivers, and I think Rager really stands out to me as somebody Shanahan might like, because to me he is a combination of of Debo Samuel and Marquise Goodwin.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if uh, Rager had run uh, a four three nine or or better than he did, I, I, I'm not sure he would have lasted to pick thirty one or. Pick 36 or wherever they end up uh, having that that first pick. So, I mean, in a way, it sort of benefits the 49ers that he, he fell down that far. Um, you know, I, I feel like Shanahan's – the lesson that Shanahan has learned over the last few years is that you, you want guys who are you know tough guys. Um, he, he, he did that with Debo Samuel. He did that with Jalen Hurd, even though Hurd has yet to play a snap. Um, but, uh, you know, Rager has that. I mean, he's got the ability to, he, he, he likes to sort of joust with uh, defensive backs down the field. That would appeal to Shanahan quite a bit. Uh, you know, the, the perfect scenario would be to uh, have, a, draft a young sort of downfield uh, guy like uh, Jalen Rager and pair him with uh, Emmanuel Sanders for at least a, a season. So, uh, you know that would be a, a, a real nice um, uh, luxury to have, just that that veteran guy who sort of bring that rookie along. But I, I like him a lot. He was better in 2018 than he was in 2019. That had a lot to do with uh, some bad quarterback play at TCU. But he's uh, he's very explosive, and uh, that's uh, you know that's 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 a, that's a missing element um, of this 49ers offense, especially if you don't have Emmanuel Sanders back in the lineup in 2020.
2: So the next guy I want to bring up um is somebody who I've watched and who actually did really well at the combine is uh, Michael Pittman from USC. And he's a completely different kind of receiver, but I think somebody Shanahan might like uh as well for different reasons. Uh he's 6'4, 223 pounds. He ran a 4'52, which I, I think is faster than people were expecting. And he did a three cone in 6.96 seconds, which is um, not great, but was one of the better numbers in the class overall. The class for whatever reason was not a good three-cone class. Um, I have no idea what to attribute that to. But um, in terms of Pittman, you and I talked about uh, like 12 months ago when the 49ers were in the market for a receiver, I believe it was a Z receiver before they ended up landing on Debo Samuel. I know you had heard that Juju Smith Schuster is really sort of the the prototype for what Shanahan was looking for. And that's sort of what we got. Uh, or what the 49ers got with Pierre Garcon when when they had him. To me, Pittman is that type of receiver. He's not a burner. He's not Marquise Goodwin. Um he's not Debo Samuel who's who's gonna get a bunch of reverses and and running plays and things like that. But he is a big, reliable uh, sort of possession receiver, sort of like if if you gave Kendrick Bourne uh, like a, uh, like a mushroom in in Mario. And and he grew a little bit and was a little bit more explosive. That's what Michael Pittman seems like to me. And I know you mentioned toughness a little bit earlier. One thing that the 49ers are lacking with, with Dante Pettis, um, Pittman was a, uh, was an all-conference special teams player, uh, and not as a return man early on in, in his college career. He was, um, he has a few blocked punts. He's a good blocker, uh, a physical tough guy, somebody who's who's willing to get his nose dirty. I, I'm curious if you think Pittman would fit sort of in that role, maybe not to replace uh, Emmanuel Sanders um, at that X spot. But, you know, Kendrick Bourne's probably going to come back, but it is a little bit dicey given all the other financial stuff going on. And and we don't know if another team is going to outbid the 49ers um, based on the tender they give him and all that. But uh, I'm curious what you think about Pittman.
1: I like Pittman. I mean, I I like all these guys. Um, I don't like him as much as some of the other ones. I I don't think, for example, he would be the pick at pick number 31. I think that's too high for him. Yeah. Um, You know, the 49ers were looking heavily at Mohamed Sanu before they traded for uh, Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, uh, Pittman has some similarities there, just the physicality and the size. Um, Yeah. I don't know if Hakeem Butler, the guy from Iowa State last year, is a is a great comparison, but that's that's who he sort of reminded me of a little bit. Um, you know, my concern if I were Shanahan would be does this guy get separation? Um, and uh, it just seems like there are more explosive types of guys who might be available there uh, at at the end of the first round.
2: So you like speaking at the end of, first, of the first round, uh, Denzel Mims from Baylor who tested really well, another big guy. Um, tell, tell me what you like about him.
1: I like him a lot. I mean, he's very physical, too. Uh, he's a great downfield blocker, takes a lot of pride in that. So um, similar to Pittman in, in that regard. He's got a great catch radius. He's got great, great hands, uh, catches the ball away from his body. He's very physical, knows how to get separation, even if it's uh, not exactly with the speed. Uh, he, he's one of these guys that tests. Uh, that ran under 4-4 at the Combine, I I think that's a little deceptive because you don't really see that when you watch him. He's one of these longer stride guys, but, you know, it it shows that he's no slouch there either. Um, But he was great at sort of the the crossing route stuff, the sideline route stuff. He really reminded me of Kendrick Bourne, Uh, Mm -hmm. great short area quickness, um, reliable guy, and um, he's just bigger and, and more physical and faster than than Bourne is. So he's he's sort of a uh, a Bourne 2.0 version, I would say. Um, and I have no idea where he's going to get drafted. I, I would imagine it's early second round is, is is his area as well. So you know if if the 49ers did do your San Diego. San Diego Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers <laughs> trade with uh, Eric Armstead. Uh, that would be a nice, uh, nice spot, I think, to get Denzel Mims.
2: OK, last last guy, and then we'll we'll get you out of here. Uh, what do you think about LaVisca Chanel, the Colorado receiver who a lot of people compare to Debo Samuel, who he himself said that, um, you know, he, he watched the 49ers with particular interest because of the way they use Debo Samuel, and uh, he envisions himself having that type of role at the next level um do you think there's room for another debo samuel like player in the offense or the 49ers should sort of should sort of treat this like uh like building a basketball lineup and and get someone with differing skill sets or is is somebody else like samuel uh like chenault would would that make sense for kyle shanahan
1: oh yeah i mean he's he's talented i mean he's a bigger version of debo samuel so uh you know Why not have two guys who are having the success that that Samuel had? Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know if if Chenault is um, a great downfield receiver. That would be the compliment I think for uh, Debo Samuel. But boy, uh, just imagine having Chenault on at one wide receiver position. Debo Samuel at the other and having Jalen Hurd healthy and lining up in the slot. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, no uh, defensive back group would ever want to face that. And, and, oh, by the way, you've also got George Kittle there um, doing damage as well. So, I mean, there would be some black and blue secondaries in the NFC West by the end of the season. I mean, uh, they would really rough up some of the teams that historically have done that to the 49ers, i.e. the the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I, I think uh Kyle Shanahan would love that scenario and that he could find uh lots of ways to to use those guys i mean Chenault is great with the ball in his hand i mean and that may be sort of uh his downside as well is that um, he does tend to get hurt a lot because he is so physical when he has the ball
2: yeah and he got hurt at the combine he um didn't he, he sprained a muscle or something while he was uh while he was running his 40
1: I, I didn't see that. Uh, okay. uh, was it like a uh, abdominal strain or something
2: like that? Yeah, I think it might have been a core muscle injury. Yeah. Um, all right. Speed. Well, that's all we get. Actually, I want to. I do want to ask you a, a broad question before we get out of here, because um, we we haven't had you on, and I'm curious about your perspective. I mean, you you've covered a Niners team previously that has gone to the Super Bowl and lost, and and obviously this is a much bigger picture question than receivers in the draft. But what what's the difficulty facing the 49ers this year and trying to repeat and how confident are you that, or at least repeat, uh, you know, being a top seed in the NFC or winning the NFC West, how, how likely or unlikely do you think it is that the 49ers find themselves competing for a Super Bowl next January?
1: I think it's more likely than, you know, what, what people are, what the statistics are saying that it's so hard to, to repeat the 49ers in 2019 had a lot of things going against them. They had a quarterback who was coming off an ACL. They had all sorts of starters and I won't go over the list, but we all know it by now. uh, All sorts of starters who are out with injury, all sorts of important players who ended up on IR and uh, various injury lists. And they still, they had a just a horrendous uh, December schedule wise. Um, and they still made it to the Super Bowl and 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 won the won the uh, you know the, the number one seed, um, you know and, and and had Kyle Shanahan saying afterwards that he thought that they were the the best team in the NFL. Um, my point being is that a, a lot of breaks didn't go their way, and they still made it to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, if things evened out even a little bit for this team, um, you would think that they would catch some breaks injury wise. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they have some ground that they'll have to make up. They won't be as talented, I don't think, on the defensive line, uh, you know, throughout that starting eight. Or not starting eight, but the eight who dress on Sundays. Um, so they have some things going against them. But I feel like it's, it's uh, very plausible that uh, they, you know, win the NFC West again um I think it's plausible that they get the number one seed I think it's plausible that they go back to the Super Bowl I don't I don't think it's uh, quite as outlandish quite as difficult as everybody is making it out to be
2: I agree with you I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be better I think there's a chance that the offense takes a significant step forward while well, maybe the defense does take a step back but I, I think the Niners are going to be in that mix and I think they're going to benefit from going into the season with a, with a pretty massive chip on their shoulder, knowing that they blew a chance at, at a Super Bowl. So I agree with you there. Matt, um, thank you so much for filling in tonight. Uh, you guys can read Matt Barrows at The Athletic. Uh, subscribe to that. You can follow him on Twitter. Are you just at Matt Barrows?
1: Yeah, very simple.
2: At Matt Barrows. All right. Uh, anything you want to plug? Oh, You no. have a podcast too, right?
1: I have a podcast. It's called uh, Here's the Catch. Okay. You can uh, get it through your subscription to The Athletic. Beads, I'm writing a book. I don't know whether I've told you about that.
2: I have heard about your book. When's yeah. it coming out?
1: It's the worst personal decision I've made in my life. It <laughs> takes up a lot of my time. A lazy person should never sign up to, uh, to write a book, and I did. During, during a Super Bowl year, by the way. That was uh, not a fantastic decision. Um, I'm due to turn it in next week. Uh, and uh, it'll come out in the fall So right around the, uh, the start of football season um, You'll have a new 49ers book It looks into the hardball years uh, A lot of uh, anecdotes and stories That no one's ever heard before um, A lot of trips down uh, Mostly good memory lane As far as some of the big games that they played um, So yeah, it should be a, a fun read
2: yeah, I've heard some of those anecdotes. I won't spoil it for anybody, but they are uh, they are good, the ones that I've heard. And uh, Matt, you're fantastic at what you do, and I'm sure the book will be equally as fantastic and uh, a great representation of uh, the type of writer and reporter that you are. So thank you for coming on uh, the pod again, and uh, we will talk to you guys next week.